You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Born apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies and actors. Words. Better shake your booties for Black Girl Nerds. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Black Girl Nerds. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This is a BGN podcast extra. That's right. We are actually recording this in the middle of the week and this is a special episode because I am going to highlight and profile a very important and compelling and I think a documentary that I believe all of you guys should watch. I think Summer of Soul is a documentary that is more important and raise a cultural awareness that we just really quite haven't seen before. And I'm so honored and so privileged to have been able to sit down with its filmmaker, Questlove, to talk about it. Now, Questlove, obviously, most of you have heard of him. You know about him. He's a musician, songwriter, DJ, author, journalist, and, of course, now filmmaker. Uh, He was the front man for Black Thought and part of the hip-hop band The Roots. Uh, Of course, you probably have seen him as the in-house band member for The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, and he's worked with so many artists. I'm not even going to name them all because it would take up this whole podcast, but, you know, he's been a very huge influence in, you know, the music genre, hip-hop, alternative hip-hop, neo-soul, so you you know who Questlove is, and you're going to know about him even more after this interview. So uh, if you have not seen Summer of Soul, please check it out. It's currently streaming on Hulu. It was just released on July 2nd. What I am going to do is just play a teaser trailer of the film for you to listen to. Kind of whet the appetite (laughs) before we dive into this interview. And then I'm going to play my very short interview with Questlove. And uh, I I hope you enjoy it. I hope you kind of get a little bit out of it. Hopefully, you know, if you have already seen the film, because I'm probably sure many of you guys that have listened at this point have seen the film, you know, you get a little bit of insight um, about what you've already learned from watching it, hearing Questlove's perspective. And if you haven't seen it yet, you'll feel compelled to fire up that Hulu app and watch it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this BGM podcast extra featuring director Questlove of Summer of Soul. As soon as you move down, we can start. Welcome to the Harlem Culture Festival here in the Harlem House. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will 
not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rebirth, brothers. The revolution will be live. Hey, how you doing? Good. And should I address you, Amir, or Questlove? Questlove's fine. Yeah. Questlove. Okay, awesome. Questlove, great to talk to you. Thank you so much for talking to Black Girl Nerds. Um, Thank you. I like your uh, collection of bobbleheads in the background. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do. I collect right. them when I go to Comic Cons all the time. I feel you. All right. <laughs> Person after my own heart. That's so cool. <laughs> Uh, first of all, congratulations on Summer of Soul. I watched it during Sundance, and I felt like I was celebrating with you when it won at Sundance. <laughs> so, um, as being one of the first critics to see it um, as it played, I, I really felt like I was celebrating that win with you. Um, it was such a beautiful film, and um, I got a chance to watch it again with my mom over the holiday weekend, and you know, she just absolutely loved and adored it. And I feel like this is a film that will resonate with all audiences of all generations. You know, obviously given the time where this film takes place mm -hmm. and where we are now, you know, one of the quotes in the film that really resonated with me um, was we hold truths, these truths to be self-evident, the black history will be erased. And I okay. wonder, do we have an obligation, this generation, to unearth and unveil history and, you know, these sort of hidden gems, these, you know, um, these stories that have not been told. Is it our duty to our ancestors to be able to find these stories and tell them the way you've done this with the Summer of Soul and the Harlem Cultural Festival? You know, it's weird. Um... I learned this lesson back in 1998. I forgot which artist I was watching on BT's Rap City, but it was clearly the, you know, it was, it was sort of like the 10 year mark of the quote classic period of hip hop where like those who were prominent in 1986, 7, 88 were kind of trying to figure out their place in the world 10 years later now that they have to compete with you know, the Norries of the world and, and uh, you know, Mob Deep and, you know, kind of a younger generation. And um, one of the, I, I forget which group it was, but they were kind of expressing the shock that, you know, um, how this younger generation doesn't even know that that song anymore and da-da-da-da-da. And that's the point where I realized that um, that uh, culture isn't just automatic trickle down um kind of economics it's 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 something that has to be passed on like and which is I, the irony of it all is like you know that hip-hop is such a like a, a griot tradition where an elder has to pe pass the story down to someone younger and they pass it down they pass it down um but all i've found in the last 25 to 30 years is basically um, people who are angry that history is being passed over, but also um, 
the amount of participants that lived history not teaching history to those who are younger. And so um, even when this film presented itself in my lap, in the very beginning, you know, I try to ask myself, like, okay, well, who's who's my audience? Like, who am I trying to reach? And initially I thought, well, okay, my mother's generation and like my grandparents' generation, like they'll be the first in line for that. And then I figure like my generation might be into it because like even if we're not directly connected to the time period, um, you know, I know at least 10 samples from Sly and the Family Stone. So it's like, okay, you don't know, sing a simple song, but you definitely know the Humpty dance. You know what I mean? Like, so you're still connected to Sly and the Family Stone. And, but when it came to post Gen X, when it came to like millennials and Gen Z, I was just like, man, what do I have to do to connect them? And, you know, I was thinking of everything like, well, okay, should I get Beyonce to say something or should I, you know, get, you know, is, is the baby the answer is, you know, do I hit up Drake or I was trying to figure like, how do you connect and engage people younger? But, you know, um, we've learned that history repeats itself and art is imitating life more than like, we learned that lesson last year. So, you know, in the beginning, in 2018, I didn't see it. But once we actually started living in the same exact actions and conditions and time that were happening 50 years ago, then, you know, it it was obvious that, oh, the connection that Gen Z and millennials are going to have is that the same exact conditions that were happening 50 years ago are still happening right now. So that was the connection. So. For my parents, it's, oh, we know the music and we live the time to my generations like, OK, well, that that period was resold to us uh, fashion wise and you know music wise. And then the generation after me will know that, oh, this is exact stuff that is happening to us right now. So, um, yeah, without being Captain Obvious about it, you know, we didn't we thought like, okay, well, should we send cameras to the, you know, Black Lives Matter movement or that sort of thing? But no, the the story was very obvious that we were living in history again. And hopefully we'll learn from it this time to not repeat this again. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, you know, it's mentioned also in the documentary that uh, music was changing, style was changing, and Black consciousness was changing. And, and that is, in fact, still happening today with what's happening with a lot of black activism and obviously with police, you know, state sanctioned violence and all of these things that are happening in our black consciousness today. So I I am curious to know, you know, with uh, what's happening in our society, given that this is literally happening right now, do you see another festival happening again today i mean obviously you have you know the roots picnic in philly but right um do you see another harlem film you know harlem cultural festival happening you know what i think the the festival that i kind of co-sign now that is very much close to the spirit of what the harlem cultural festival was um is the broccoli festival in dc Hmm. that's um it's slowly gaining traction um they quietly they all they almost quietly ran parallel to uh the roots picnic i think 
you know, they started a little over 10 years ago. Um, and of course, you know, in the beginning, I was like, Broccoli Festival, what kind of title <laughs> is that for? <laughs> Only, you know, like I'm thinking like something totally opposite to find out this is like, this is almost like the, 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 the boho, the bohemian black paradise of, you know, of celebrations where they, you know, embrace everything from trap music to neo soul to, to but it's like it's so it's one of the few all black attendant festivals that i've seen that's in the spirit of what the harlem cultural festival was so i mean it's happening now i mean it's not i think now uh what made it special then and even then like you know the harlem cultural festival couldn't find a home yeah. nationally until 50 years later but it's just the fact that now because we just live in a time where everything is colonized and sort of worldwide and shared throughout cultures in the world and whatnot it's not like this is one specific little niche thing that's like our little secret and stays our secret like you know the difference between now and then is that festivals are just kind of open air to everyone but um yes i i do feel as though um that there is uh still space to have these sort of festivals and whatnot and i've seen a lot of them they're just not publicized as much but i will say that um kind of after we opened last week um i've had very interesting uh dm exchanges with other uh kind of uh entities like universities or whatnot letting me know that by the way uh in our library we have a uh, over 12 hours of blah 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 concert if you wanted to from 1972 and i'm like the Isley brothers what so wow. there's there's at least five or, i know this is not alone like there are at least five or six other um taped events that are now about to th this isn't the last of what you're going to hear of our stories and our progress because nothing dismays me more than i'm looking for like i had to make the movie that i search on the internet to find on youtube or you know on itunes so hopefully there, there there's going to be more of these so that that was something i was very curious about because obviously you had to go through a ton of footage mm -hmm. making this film so yeah. were <laughs> was there some footage where you were like oh my gosh this is really going to be hard for me to not keep this in the movie um that's, so what, yeah what was the challenging moments during the uh, cutting aspect of making this that's literally all this process was to be this process taught me the power of editing um <laughs> first of all you're given 40 hours of footage of which for five months, I had to keep this on constant loop. Um, even when I'm asleep, no matter what, I kept this on constant loop. If I'm traveling overseas or whatever, it's on my phone. That's all I watched for five months and kept notes. If something moved me, then I took note of it. And when I had like 30, 35 things that really moved me, then I felt like we really had a foundation to deal with as far as like what we want to uh, show. But I'll say that um, it's almost like what didn't make the the screen to me was interesting. My first cut was three hours and 20 minutes. 
Um, so I had to cut 90 minutes out of this film. Um, there, there was the, the sort of the, the, uh, the dilemma of the hit single versus the best performance. You know, in the case of Stevie Wonder, it's like, well, obviously you're going to show like My Sharia Moore or, yeah. you know, Science Still Deliver, like, like his popular song. But for me, it was more important to show how Stevie Wonder was changing in 69 because we made this whole thing about 69 was a paradigm shift for everybody and everyone found their new powers in 69. And for Stevie Wonder, you know, the, 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 less popular day, to me was more indicative of what direction Stevie Wonder was headed in the 70s and the 80s. Like, so, you know, stuff like that. The Chambers Brothers' biggest single was a, a song called Time, which has been used in every Vietnam film. Uh, you know, it's almost like the way that Scorsese uses the Rolling Stones, uh, you know, uh, in his movies like the chambers brothers in every vietnam film but that song's like 14 minutes long mm -hmm. so we had to lose that uh the entire comedy segment um which was like 20 minutes we we had to sort of bypass that only because it, it took longer for me to explain humor and in that time period and i felt like just watching the clip in depth without explanation would have kind of taken you away from the, the event itself. So yeah, a lot of it, a lot of it went on the floor. Uh, last question. There's a great scene between gospel singers, Mahalia Jackson and Mavis Staples sharing the mic that was so powerful. Mm -hmm. Why was it important for you to specifically focus on highlighting that moment between those prolific artists? Cause that scene really stretched out for a very significant period of yeah. time in the documentary. Um, okay, so in my initial draft, that was going to be my ending. Mm. Um, and a side fun fact, um, there's, there's three kind of uh, heartbreaking discoveries that I found out in the paperwork of uh, this film. Uh, number one, I found out that Jimi Hendrix also requested to play this festival and was turned away. Um, I discovered that um, a lot of the local acts, unknowns, were put on the, uh, the last week, which wasn't recorded because they were local. So we missed a chance to watch 17-year-old uh, Luther Vandross have his very first New York performance. And I also found out that Aretha Franklin was an 11th hour cancellation uh, to the festival mere three days before. So the Staple Singers is the only act of that festival that had to perform uh, two weeks in a row. Um, but in watching that scene, and, you know, I, I often wonder, like, okay, well, since that was supposed to be Aretha Franklin, I wonder how that would have turned out. Um, but to me, that was such a passing of the baton moment with Mavis and Mahalia, because I, too, was wondering, like, 
was the what was the division of labor as far as like but you obviously see that Mahalia Jackson controlled the microphone and she was more than generous like I just never seen that sort of generosity before and where it's obviously a passing of the torch moment and I I didn't want to break that moment because that that more than anything next to Nina Simone that moment like froze me and the only reason why this went to the middle instead of the end like I wanted it to be because I think as an ender, it would have turned this film into kind of a, a kumbaya, gentle landing moment. And I really wanted to, to hit people that history had been erased or neglected. And I felt like the spirit of Nina Simone was a little more defiant in bringing that home. And this fit much better as a climax in the middle than it did as a Okay, and then all a good time was had by all, and amen, and good night, people. Hope you have fun. Like, it would have been a Hollywood ending. It wouldn't have hit you the same had it ended the film. Excellent. Questlove, you found your genre. Beautiful film. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank Appreciate you. it. Appreciate it. Right. Take care. Thank you. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Brodnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.